Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Now, today we're going to talk about Sony buying Evo, Square Enix presents, and Activision's Bobby Kotick finally getting that third yacht he's worked so hard for. But first, we're going to talk about Xbox Game Pass. So, Last week's episode was all about Bethesda. It was all about Game Pass. And Xbox made a few announcements last week that sort of felt like one of the biggest weeks for Game Pass that we've seen in quite a while. They confirmed what I had talked about last week, which was that Outriders would be coming to Game Pass when it launches on April 1st. Now, this is something that I I think is... Sort of surprising in a sense, you know, there's not many moments that we can look at in terms. Actually, you know what? There are a few moments, I guess, that we could look at at Game Pass where Microsoft worked with a third party to launch a game on Game Pass. But usually it's been somewhat of a smaller bit, uh, uh, excuse me, a smaller game. It's never been something as big as Outriders and... There are a few reasons why Outriders is a big deal, especially because it's being published and distributed by Square Enix. It's being developed by People Can Fly. But the big thing about it is that, you know, Square Enix has been doing pretty good as a company. Their biggest misstep, though, was Avengers, Marvel's Avengers that came out last year. They confirmed after uh, their last sort of financials that they revealed and we hear we're going to hear a little bit more uh about that in april when we start um hearing from different companies in terms of the end of their fiscal year and how well they did or didn't do and obviously a lot of companies are going to put up some record numbers but the big thing was them talking about how badly avengers went for them so the reason why this is uh, the, the launch of Outriders is such a big deal for Square Enix is because Outriders and Marvel's Avengers sort of exist a little bit on the same type of game. It's it's a game as a service. It's a game that Square Enix as a publisher expects people to pick up and play for quite some time. It's a game that they expect people to, you know, once they finish the campaign to keep replaying and, you know, leveling up the characters and playing with friends and expecting, you know, and interacting with new content, uh, you know, with a roadmap that hopefully lasts at least a year. And that's something that I think they try to do with Avengers, you know, they they sort of teased a lot of these different heroes, but obviously it died out really quickly because of just how immensely repetitive the game was. And the one thing that I noticed about Outriders, and I've spoken about it on the show, is that it's a game that I think, you know, does some things well, but there was nothing I had to play in the demo where I felt like it was doing something great. So when I look at Outriders, you sort of realize that this is sort of the perfect Game Pass game. And the reason why is for a few reasons. Number one is that um, this is sort of, you know, kind of the first next-gen games as a service game that we're getting in terms of a game being optimized and created specifically for Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5, not just sort of 
a uh, next-gen upgrade. And because of how sort of badly Avengers went for Square Enix, I'm sure Square Enix wants this game to be a success. Now, what's what's interesting is that, you know, it, it seems that the demo is going pretty well. I've seen a lot of sort of mixed signals uh, in terms of this game. You know, I'm the type of person where, you know, for the life of me, I never, ever really trust media previews like if it's a big media outlet like let's 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 say like an ign especially in the aftermath of cyberpunk 2077 i just don't trust any of these previews anymore because you know it just feels like you know on one hand i understand that they play early versions of a game and it's not right to you know completely judge that game before it's fully finished because obviously there are glitches and issues that have to be ironed out but for the most part you should be getting a good feel of what you are expecting consumers to be able to play when the game finally releases and it's gotten to the point where i just don't trust any any of these media outlets when it comes to previews because let's be honest i just don't trust them to be immensely honest about their experiences once again especially in the aftermath of what happened to cyberpunk 2077 the fact that we didn't hear a single bad sentence about it and then all of a sudden it comes out and you know was a surprise to everyone that played the game in preview that, that this game is awful but you know when it comes to this game it sort of is a perfect game pass game because this is something that will be there only for a limited time let's say you know three, four months or something like that. Maybe this contract is for, uh, you know, Square Enix is getting paid out of the gate because Microsoft is uh, paying them sort of a signing bonus in order to put Outriders a Game Pass on top of whatever cut that they get from actually being on the service. And then on top of that, once Outriders leaves the service, Square Enix is hoping that they're able to convince players that their roadmap is strong enough that they should be able to, they should, you know, keep playing. And then at that point, any game that's on Game Pass, Xbox always has sort of this exit discount where when it's about to leave the service, if you like, if you're a Game Pass member, you can purchase it for, I believe it's a 20, 20% off, I think is the discount that you get. So it's almost like, you know, the moment that people download this game on Game Pass on April 1st, like, yes, there's not an additional charge outside of that, you know, $9.99 or $15 a month that they're that they're paying. But as long as they're really enjoying it and you're, you know, putting a lot of time and effort into your character and you're playing with a lot of your friends, you sort of kind of already purchased the game with your time. And once you put so much time into a character, and once again, especially if you're playing with friends, you know, you sort of, the chances that you're going to purchase that game once it exits is way higher than any other game that hits Game Pass. Let's say something that's just single player only, or maybe it's just multiplayer where, you know, you're not really building up a character, no character trees, things like that. So, all in all, I think this is a really, really good idea. I had spoken about, I also think it would be a good idea to also bring this to PlayStation Plus on April 1st and just kind of blitz it all in, in, in one motion. But I sort of feel like Square Enix would have wanted to announce that already. I know that PlayStation doesn't like to announce their PlayStation Plus games until sort of like right as soon as the month ends for the next month. So that's probably not going to happen. 
because obviously you've had you, you would have a lot of upset retailers that are going to get last minute pre-order cancellations if, if that happens so uh you know it, it will be interesting it's something i've said before you know this is I think once Square Enix sees the success that they're going to get from Outriders, because I do predict that, you know, hopefully they deliver a game that's deeper than I think it is, you know, just on the surface. I'm now interested in downloading this game on April 1st, or, you know, I'm probably going to go to my Game Pass app. I keep forgetting to do it, preload the game and, and, and play it when it drops on April 1st. Um because it wasn't a game that I was willing to pay $59.99 for. But, you know, who knows? Maybe I'm going to be one of those people that might play it, maybe try a different class, and I try in the demo and actually really like it and, you know, decide to to, to keep playing it after it leaves Xbox Game Pass. I think it's, it's a really, really good strategy and one that I think, not even if, but when Square Enix sees the success of that turnover rate, that they're going to get from people that are going to keep playing. Hopefully they see that in really, really good numbers. I think it will convince them to put Avengers there and maybe have it expire at some point, you know, right before the holidays or something like that. I, I think, you know, once you see that conversion, um, I could definitely see them uh, doing that also for Avengers. Microsoft also talked about EA Play as being added to Xbox Game Pass for PC, giving subscribers access to more than 60 EA games. This is something I've seen that a lot of PC Game Pass subscribers are having, you know, a bit of an issue with, you know, Outriders was announced coming to Xbox Game Pass, but it's only to Xbox Game Pass, it's not PC. So they sort of feel like even though they're paying that same monthly fee as, as console owners, they're not getting kind of the same games being added to the service. Now, look, that has absolutely nothing to do with Xbox in terms of Outriders not being added to PC. Maybe that means that, you know, um, either that means that uh, Square Enix has some sort of other deal with maybe Steam or another store in, in place where they can't put it on Game Pass, or uh, it's something that they've probably seen Maybe Steam wish lists are really high or PC pre-orders are a lot higher than they are on console. And then at that point, they feel like maybe it's not really a good idea to bring it to PC Game Pass and maybe something like that can, can change. But that that doesn't have anything. I don't think it has anything to do with, with, with Xbox. I think it has more to do with uh, the publisher more so than Microsoft. So it's something that I sort of get it, but you also have to understand that you can't really blame Xbox for those types of moves. So it's pretty cool to see this added, especially right after that Outriders announcement that some people were unhappy about to see that EA play up to, you know, more than 60 EA games are coming to uh, PC Game Pass for that same low price. Really, really cool. They also announced Undertale was coming to Xbox and added... And it's already on there on Game Pass. Octopath Traveler, which is previously only available on PC, Switch, and Stadia, was announced. And it will be released on Xbox Game Pass this week. I, I, I thought this announcement was really, really interesting because it wasn't like a big deal that Square Enix or Xbox made out of it. You know, Microsoft just said, hey, these are the games coming to Game Pass. And I looked at that list. And I was like, wait a minute, was Octopath ever on Xbox? So it was really interesting that they announced it for Xbox and are actually launching it day one. And it wasn't really, you know, even any fanfare about it. So the last system that's missing is PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5. Maybe that's something that will come uh, onto the service, 
later this year. Maybe once it exits Game Pass, it'll also be released on PS4, PS5. And um, now before I move on to the rest of the stories, one thing that did pop into my head after this past week, uh, you know, after talking about Game Pass on the last episode and the impact that I feel it'll have on the rest of the industry, and then seeing all these announcements that Microsoft did last week, they sort of dominated, you know, gaming, the gaming news cycle last week. It just felt like, you know, news story after news story, especially coming off of the Bethesda news. You know, it seems that Microsoft and, you know, Xbox are really on a roll right now. I started to kind of think in my head, like, how long until we get our first Game Pass exclusive game? And this is something I haven't really heard anybody else talking about. But once you think about it, at some point, obviously, you know, you can compare Microsoft's Xbox Game Studios and their 23 studios. You know, you can compare it to a little bit close to what Netflix did when they started you know, uh, filming and distributing their own shows. And, you know, they found their early hits with Orange is the New Black and, you know, Stranger Things, for example. And these are, you know, shows that are created by Netflix and exclusively only live on Netflix. There were no other ways to get those shows. It's not like Netflix released, you know, season one of Stranger Things and they simultaneously released a Blu-ray for it, for example, right? I think I think there are Blu-rays now. I, I'm, I'm not really 100% sure. Maybe after some time pass by. But I think it will be interesting to think about what will be... Because I don't think this is an if. I think it's a win. I think there will be a Game Pass, Game Pass exclusive game at some point. I don't think it's going to be something huge like, you know, Gear 6 or something like that will be exclusive to Game Pass. But I think at some point, I think internally Microsoft is considering like what kind of game that we can we create where it won't exist, there are no physical copies, it won't exist on the Xbox store, you can only access the game if you're a Game Pass subscriber, so I I, I kind of started thinking about this, I was like, you know, it would be kind of cool if they did some sort of multiplayer experience, it doesn't have to be super big, but I was thinking like, you know, Microsoft has access to all these characters now after picking up Bethesda, like imagine like this cartoony third person, you know, hero based shooter, you know, that has all these xbox characters now all these intellectual properties like you know master chief marcus phoenix the doom marine bj for wolfenstein joanna dark corvo from dishonored conquer you know all these characters that uh, microsoft now owns and it's sort of like this really cartoony you know 4v4 multiplayer experience or something like that no retail release i think something like that is definitely those conversations are happening at microsoft it we've seen Nintendo do it with Nintendo Switch Online. If you guys remember when Tetris 99 first launched, you can only get it if you're a Nintendo Switch Online member. Mario 35 was another game that you can only get if you're a Switch Online member. Obviously, you have those NES and SNES games that have you know features in it that weren't available in the original games that you can only access, like you know, online play, for example. You can only access if you're a Switch Online member. So I don't think this is an if. I think it's more of like a win. You know, when will Game Pass get their first exclusive, excuse me, exclusive game? And I think it'd be cool to see them experiment with, I don't know, some sort of like quirky 
multiplayer game, you know, almost like what Sony did with like Fat Princess or something like that, or something along the vein of a uh, Fall Guy, something quick, easy to pick up and play, something that you can, you know, easily pick up on Game Pass Mobile, for for example. So, I th- I, I was just thinking about that last week. I wanted to bring it up on the show. I think it is, it is definitely something that will happen at some point. Our first story is about Sony buying Evo. Sony and RTS, a new esports organization formed by sports marketing company Endeavor, have jointly acquired Evo. For those that don't know, Evo is our industry's premier fighting game. Tournament happens once. Now, last few years has been twice a year ever since they did Evo Japan. Evo's co-founders, Tom and Tony Cannon, will stay on as key advisors. And I, I think, you know, this is kind of one of those new pieces of news that came out last week where I read it and I was like, oh, that's, you know, that kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, that was a bit unexpected. But then at the same time, I looked at it, I was like, yeah, this, everything about this makes total sense to me. <laughs> you know, I know that a lot of people looked at it as like, you know, all oh, this that that means there's no more Smash at Evo, and I I don't really understand how people connected those two dots. I definitely didn't look at it um, in that way. You know, games on all platforms will still be part of Evo, and uh, Evo's head of business development, Mark Julio, did confirm that that will happen. You know, multi-platform fighting games were always played on PlayStation, so there's not really much of a change there. That's something that I've always found interesting about PlayStation is that it seems like Xbox early on, when it came to the advent of, you know, multiplayer and esports, you know, we had a, a pretty, you know, thriving scene for Halo 2, and then you see how much work Microsoft put with Gears of War when it came to their eSport. And, you know, I I hope I'm hoping that Microsoft is putting a lot of and, and Xbox is looking to investing a lot of money into Halo eSports because I think there's a lot, a lot of potential there. But it's always been interesting to me that we've always equated Microsoft with multiplayer and and competition early on with Xbox and Xbox 360. I think a lot more than we did with PlayStation, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3. I think that was that was the interesting thing about the PlayStation 4 era is that is how Sony sort of kind of quietly became the official console of esports, especially fighting games. So obviously you know, working with Capcom and getting Street Fighter V exclusive was a really, really big deal. Once you once you look back at it and the fact that it still has never come to Xbox. And then you look at NetherRealm with Mortal Kombat 11, which is another thriving fighting esport. You think of, you know, Tekken, you know, all these other fighting games. They're always, always played on PlayStation. Uh, when you think of Call of Duty esports, you know, the Call of Duty League is played on PlayStation. It's not even played on PC. So it's sort of interesting how Sony has quietly, you know, very quietly, they have been very vocal in terms of like sponsoring and, and you know, they've really kept themselves behind the scenes, but putting themselves into the position of, of being sort of the official console of esports. So when I heard about them buying Evo, I, I just sort of said, well, this sort of makes a lot of sense. When I looked at it, to me, it sounds more of a strategic investment from Sony 
You know, it, it kind of reminded me of the investment that they made last year into Epic Games. It sort of just seems like a strategic investment from PlayStation and one that sort of makes a lot of sense. You know, like if I found out that Xbox bought Evo, I think I'll be like, okay, that's sort of a weird move. That would really come out of left field. But when it comes to Sony, I think all of this makes a lot of sense. At the same time, they also announced that Evo Online will return this August. Street Fighter V, Tekken 7, Mortal Kombat 11, and Guilty Gear Strive are currently the games that are going to be played. Obviously, the big one missing is Super Smash Brothers, but that's because Nintendo refuses to fix their netcode, so that's really the main reason why they're not on there. But, you know, everything about this makes a lot of sense. As I said before, it just would make zero sense for Sony to just, you know, lock Nintendo out of Evo and, and take Smash out of Evo. Something like that would not make any sense. So, you know, there's really not many multi-platform uh, fighting games. Like I said, most of them are played on PlayStation anyway. So all this makes a lot of sense. And at the end of the day, when I look at it, I think Evo has always been really cool. And it's been interesting to see the growth of Evo, especially the last few years, seeing them. I mean, where have they been? I think it's at Mandalay Bay. They've been uh, the last few years in Las Vegas and seeing that amazing stage that they've built. But I think Sony's going to be able to bring in just a much higher level of production. Maybe we'll, you know, be able to have, a, you know, an Evo Europe maybe or something like that. So it's Evo US, Japan, Europe, maybe have so, some sort of like champion series. And, uh, you know, maybe Sony be, being able to, you know, get their connections in line and be able to distribute more of these fighting game esports on you know, TV, you know, sort of similar to what Evo did when they had their ESPN deal. I think there's just a lot of potential here. And it's one that as cool as Evo was, it's very obvious that they did not have the resources to really hit this next major step and sort of keep going when it came when it comes to how fast esports is growing. So all in all, I think this is just great news all around. And I do believe Sony will be able to bring Evo to a whole new level, especially, you know, the challenges that they're going to face next year, you know, being able to go back to physical tournaments. I think we're going to see like this really big renewed interest next year. Um, you know, hopefully COVID is, is, is in our rear view mirror. I think, you know, those numbers are really going to rise up for anybody pulling off any public event next year. I think people sort of have this fever to get back together. Another announcement that Sony made was play at home. They added 10 new games that any PlayStation owner could download for free. You do not need PlayStation Plus. The 10 games are The Witness, Abzu, Subnautica, Enter the Gungeon, Res Infinite, Astrobot Rescue Mission, Moss, Thumper, Paper Beast. And they also announced that Horizon Zero Dawn Complete Edition will be releasing on April 19th. Once again, this is their play at home summer initiative. It's one thing that you do not need PlayStation Plus for. I thought this was really cool. You know, PlayStation has been doing this. I think it's only been, I think it's only the third year that they've done Play at Home. I can't remember. It's definitely been at least two years. I remember them doing this last year. But um, I think it's a really cool initiative that they're doing. You know, I... I found it really weird to see underneath the announcement. You know, I, I spent a lot of my time on Twitter and, you know, seeing people complain and people like, you know, 
you know, all these 10 games are whack. This is corny. Game Pass is better. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, you know, you don't have to download any of these games, right? You know, you you know, you could just like stay quiet and let other people realize that, hey, you know, what? I'm getting 10 free games. And a lot of the games on this list are probably games that have gone underneath people's radar. Like, why would Sony give away big, you know, games like, you know, Bloodborne or, you know, Uncharted or stuff like that on here. Like you, you, you might as well partner up with third parties and give away like after about rescue missions on here. I thought that was pretty cool. They have a couple of VR games on here. So, you know, why give away these games that every, you know, a lot of places your owners have played and probably know about, you're probably better off giving out something like Abzu, Subnautica, The Witness, these sort of smaller games that a lot of people may have missed. <clears throat> and once again, they're completely free. I don't understand how a company could give away games completely for free because this has no comparison to Game Pass. Like, uh, you know, this notion that Game Pass owners have where a game is added and they're like, oh, you know, I I'll play that. It's free. Like, no, it's not free. It's included <laughs> in your $14.99, you know, a month subscription. Like, that's not really how it works like you know when you're you're you know h if you're an hbo max user and you see you know Zack snyder's justice league you're not like oh well i'll watch it it's free no it's not free you're paying 50 dollars a month is included in it these games are completely 100 free i don't understand how people can find any wiggle room to complain about anything that that old school lesson if you have nothing nice to say don't say anything at all i think we need to get back to that lesson and and really you know remind people like just quiet down and let other people enjoy things it's completely free i do not understand how people can still find you know like i said wiggle room to complain about something like this another sony announcement last week was playstation 5 vr they showed off the vr controllers they didn't go too in depth into it. We didn't really see, you know, there wasn't like a video showing us how it works. It was all just sort of photos. I think Sony did this now. It's definitely early to be showing these controllers off. I mean, we probably won't see the new VR. Maybe they're tracking a holiday 2022 release uh, because Sony, the last time they talked about this just a few weeks ago, they said that kits you know development kits for playstation 5 vr were just going out so who knows when we'll actually see a return on these and you know maybe a lot of those premier vr games were maybe vr games that were being created late in playstation 4's development cycle that are moving on to ps5 so it'll probably be you know another few years till we'll see like a really native amazing playstation 5 VR game that really takes advantage of that new hardware. I think they probably show these controllers off because they were afraid of leaks. Now the, the dev kits are going out there. So, you know, uh, some of the features are adaptive triggers. I think that's kind of a given that these controllers are going to have that. As cool as the adaptive triggers are in the PlayStation 5 controller, I think it, it would be a really cool experience to get that in VR. Haptic feedback similar to the PlayStation 5 controller. Finger touch detection, which I feel like, you know, it's kind of on a laundry list of things a VR controller needs to do in the year 2021. That's definitely one of them. 
which is it can detect where your fingers are are placed without hitting buttons. I think that's something that I definitely needed. And then an update on the tracking. The VR controller is tracked by the new VR headset through a tracking ring across the bottom of the controller. And the controller themselves, you know, they seem pretty interesting. I'm not, I, I've, you know, in the past, I've played a few VR games. I do not own anything VR. I do still think that we are kind of still a few years away from VR becoming, we haven't hit the VR explosion yet. I feel, and that's still because, you know, the cost of getting into VR is still really high. Even as affordable as PlayStation 4 VR is, once we think about PlayStation 5 VR, if we kind of, let's take a guess that this headset with the controllers is going to cost $400. That means at a minimum, it's going to be, you know, over $800 for you to get into VR if you're a PlayStation player. And that's uh, obviously calculating if you buy the PlayStation Digital Edition. Once again, still kind of a high cost of entry. I think, you know, cell phones are probably the, the biggest entry point in order to get VR to spread. And we've seen that's what Facebook has been doing with Oculus. But I, I kind of like what Facebook, uh, excuse me, what Sony has been doing with VR. They kind of you know, they have a lot of faith in VR. I think they've seen a lot of growth with VR on uh, PlayStation. And I think it's important for one of the console manufacturers, whether it was Nintendo, Sony, or Microsoft, to get into VR at some way, shape, or form. And, uh, you know, I think Microsoft, after the, the failure of Connect, I don't think it's something that they were really interested in. There's absolutely, you know... In my opinion, is a 0% chance that Microsoft is working on a VR headset. I think the most that they would do is try to find a, a way to incorporate the AR headset into Xbox and maybe have Xbox features, but not something that is natively made for Xbox. And it is something that I know that Phil Spencer has said in the past that uh, they know for a fact that it's not something that Xbox owners are asking for. And I agree with his sentiment. I think it's a very small percentage of people that are asking for VR, but I think it is something that Microsoft has considered, but there's just no way that they will make their own headset. And, uh, you know, some people forget that last year Xbox entered into an agreement with Facebook for xCloud and being able to share xCloud links on Facebook gaming and maybe incorporate Xbox and xCloud into Facebook gaming in some way, shape or form. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Facebook approached Xbox about allowing Oculus to be supported on, you know, Xbox Series X, for example. There's no way that, you know, this piece of hardware would not be able to uh, run VR, especially if we talk about xCloud, maybe even streaming VR and stuff like that. I think it would be really interesting to see something like that happening. But, um, you know, there's no way that Xbox would make their own headset. And I think if they were looking for a partner because of their partnership with Facebook, Oculus would probably be the way to go. Uh, You know, for me personally, I I wouldn't touch Oculus with a 10 foot pole. I do not use Facebook. I hate, (laughs) I hate Facebook. I do not like that company uh, in any way, shape or form. So I definitely wouldn't like to see this partnership or rather than partner with Valve or HTC or uh, literally anybody else. But, you know, if Xbox were to do VR, that's probably 
the way that they would go. But, you know, kicking back to PlayStation, I really like that they've kind of put a lot behind VR, the last generation. And and, and once again, I think it, it is important because I think gaming is, is a really strong avenue to inter- introduce VR to different people. So I think it's great that out of the three, I think Sony was the right partner. <laughs> if I had to pick anyone to work on VR, I would pick uh, PlayStation because, you know, obviously Sony is a, is a company that's really good when it comes to electronics and displays and building hardware. So um, I am looking forward to see what they do with the PlayStation 5 VR headset and, you know, how it looks and, you know, how it functions, I think will be something interesting to see whenever we actually see something like that. Maybe we'll get our first look by the end of the year. Uh, Moving on next story, we're going to talk about Square Enix. Square Enix had a very brief presentation last week. Square Enix Presents began with a trailer for Outriders. Uh, Once again, it's launching in, what, two weeks, April 1st. They acknowledged the 25th anniversary of Tomb Raider by showing a trailer for a trilogy collection, which I absolutely love, the modern trilogy of Tomb Raider, definitely one of my favorite games from last generation, and announcing that the Croft Manor is coming to Fortnite. They showed two trailers for mobile games, Just Cause is uh, coming to mobile, mobile, and then a Hitman mobile game called Hitman Sniper Assassins. I've brought this up in the past about the importance of publishers bringing uh, their intellectual property and franchises that we've seen regularly on consoles being able to create, you know, uh, not replicate that game on mobile, but be able to find interesting stories on there. And we, we only have trailers for these two, but they sort of look like mobile co-op experiences. You know, for Hitman, Sniper Assassins, I think... Uh, like I said, we don't really know much about the game, but I think it would be interesting to see, you know, you be able to create your own assassin that's not Agent 47. You you know, maybe you'll be able to pick your own number agent. Obviously, there's probably going to be a lot of Agent 69s online. But I remember playing Hitman Go, Tomb Raider Go, which were two mobile experiences on uh, cell phones. If you haven't played these games, man, they were amazing. Tomb Raider Go and Hitman Go, I think, were absolute successes. They're sort of these turn-based puzzle games that they created for mobile, but I think they were executed perfectly. I think there were games based on these big franchises, but they were made with the mobile gamer in mind, and you know, it was a strategy that I think Nintendo uh, pulled off really well when they were going into mobile, which was finding a way to build a bridge from mobile into console experiences uh, and kind of bringing people back to the same IP. So I think it's, it's cool to see them doing it. I think more publishers need to um, look at mobile as, as a successful avenue. Space Invaders is getting an AR game. You know, it was kind of a CD trailer. We didn't really see exactly what that looks like. Side-scrolling shooter series Darius is coming to Switch and PS4. as an HD remaster called Darius Cosmic Revelation. Bubble Bobble 4 Friends is coming to Steam. A second story pack for something called Two... I hope I'm pronouncing this ref, uh, correctly. Two Who or Spell Bubble on Switch is on the way. Then um, they show a tra- trailer for Marvel's Avengers Next DLC which is Black Panther. 
And then after sh- the show, it was uh, confirmed that Sony's exclusive Spider-Man DLC for Marvel's Avengers will not release until after Black Panther. And this was something that I kind of brought up last year when they announced this exclusive, which I said, man, this is a, a huge exclusive for Sony. Um, even though people look at the Avengers game and like, oh, but it, you know, it didn't sell very well. We're not really talking about it. You know, it's obvious that maybe that exclusive didn't really pay off for Sony. I sort of disagree with that notion for a few reasons. Number one, if we look at games as a service historically, the last few years, you know, for whatever reason, I'm not really sure why companies keep getting these games wrong at launch. But we've seen a lot of these games launch, not do well, get kind of dumped on within their their first year. And then in year three, they sort of get this this second wind. And I think, you know, it's very likely that Avengers will be able to get to that point, you know, as long as the developers continue to listen to the people playing the game. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you owned the three platforms, whether you own PC, Xbox, or PlayStation, the chances are really high that you chose purchasing it on uh, PlayStation as opposed to Xbox on PC. That's it. Your money is spent at that point. And this is a games as a service. There are probably a lot of PlayStation users that play it occasionally. Maybe they're waiting for more updates, more things to do. And, you know, Black Panther, I think the DLC looks really cool. That's something that will get you back into the game. But I think at the end of the day, just the prospect of, hey, uh, Spider-Man will come at some point. And that was one thing that I brought up last year that makes this sort of exclusivity a little bit ingenious is that they announced the exclusive, but they never at any point really set it in stone in terms of when this exclusive is coming and i think that's kind of the the genius move about it because even up to this point right now you can you can buy avengers for 25 bucks and at that at this point you're probably still going to choose playstation over xbox because you know at some point spider-man is coming and is going to be free uh to download that character so i still think that exclusivity pays off for playstation in the end um i sort of am, am putting it out right now square enix as soon as that Spider-Man DLC drops, even if it drops at the end of this year, maybe it might get pushed to early 2022. Remember, we're still sort of in the middle of COVID, even though vaccines are out there. Um, Square Enix needs to add this game to PlayStation Plus. Even if it's for only for a month, they need to add this game to PlayStation Plus when Spider-Man drops. J- just imagine the influx of, of players they would get by adding it to PlayStation Plus sort of marrying that with Spider-Man, making a whole campaign about it. I think it's a really, really good moment that PlayStation and Square Enix need to work on. Uh, And then the one thing it it got me thinking of when I thought about Marvel's Avengers is I I kind of don't understand why these companies continue getting games as a service so wrong. I just kind of don't understand it. (laughs) You know, um, you think of what... you know, Epic Games has been able to do a Fortnite. And the fact that, you know, yes, the Fortnite map changes, but it's it's sort of the same map that we've had for years now. And they're just sort of changing it through these world-changing moments. 
And it's obvious that these world-changing events and keeping people socially engaged with these games as a service on the outside. We saw Destiny sort of attempt, you know, doing a, a global event last year. It's very obvious that those are the ways to go. And it's obvious that the importance is on making your loot system very, very integral from the very beginning, uh, making it so you know, you're able to bring people back in, you know, you're able to rope them back into the game. And it's so important to have a roadmap set. It's so important to have these uh, quality of life updates, be able to listen and communicate. And it's so weird to see so many companies continue to get this wrong. You know, it's almost like these companies just not studying the history of what happened to Destiny, what happened to... The division, what happened to you know Rainbow Six Siege, and and the way that that Ubisoft was able to turn that into this behemoth within years. It's so weird to see a lot of these companies not learning these lessons and getting it right just straight out of the gate. I'm not understanding why something like this continues <laughs> to happen. Like I don't understand how, as you know, uh, Square Enix and Marvel. You look at the Avengers as a property, you understand that you can separate yourself from the film franchise. You have access to a bigger hero pool than you probably could in terms of, you know, uh, the movie and the, the, the film and TV franchises, for example. Like, why is Hawkeye your first DLC? I, I, I just... You know, even Black, like Black Panther should have been the first DLC or, or someone interesting, Doctor Strange, Scarlet Witch. Like, why is Hawkeye, you know, your first DLC? And then you, 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 you're baffled by people not getting excited about post-launch content. Like, who the hell's excited about Hawkeye? Like, I, I just kind of don't understand how these companies keep getting this wrong. When there's, you know, so many graves that you can dig up and, and, and research in terms of failures, like the history is there. I just kind of don't get it. We also got Life is Strange True Colors was announced, which looks really, really good. And then uh, Life is Strange, Life is Strange Before the Storm remasters are coming this fall. And then before the end, before this was up, Project Athia was officially um, titled Forspoken. Uh, and this is the previously announced PlayStation 5 exclusive. I think it is also coming to PC. And that was announced coming to um, 2022. And we got a little bit of gameplay footage. Jesus Christ, this looks amazing. If any game developer out there wants to get Joel excited about a game, give me a very compelling uh you know traversal mechanic you know so being able to see how fast you're able to 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 run and traverse through uh it's sort of like the flash meets parkour is the way that I looked at it when I was looking at this trailer it, it got me instantly excited for this game it obviously looks really really amazing as much as I don't like ex exclusives and I really wish that every game would come on come out on every platform. I think looking at this game and what Square Enix showed showed off with the upcoming Final Fantasy for PlayStation 5, 
I think the one positive that we get out of console exclusives, especially what we've seen coming out of Sony, is just visually. I think when you when you're able to get a team to focus on just one platform, I think you're able to visually elevate a game to a level that we wouldn't really see if you have to work on, you know, five different platforms at launch, for example. So the game looks amazing. I'm definitely looking forward to hearing a lot more about it. And, you know, I tweeted about this, but I wanted to bring up how interesting Square Enix strategy has been this generation. And I think it's been interesting to see Square Enix just in the last five or six years, the way they've kind of been able to transform themselves as a company that is kind of a lot more than just Final Fantasy, a lot more than just RPGs. We've seen them do a lot on so many different platforms, you know, being able to do stuff on mobile and sort of not focus on just one thing, not focus on just being kind of PlayStation exclusive with their Final Fantasy VII Remake, for example. And it's just interesting to see that they've been able to release stuff exclusively for mobile. Uh, they're sort of starting to dip their toes into PC now a lot more. You know, you had the console exclusives that they've been able to do with Sony, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VII Remake, the next Final Fantasy, what are we up to? 16, uh, you know, Project Athia, which we now know as Forspoken. They've been doing... Um, you know, old school revivals and remasters coming to Nintendo Switch. Obviously, Octopath Tra Traveler launched on there. Uh, Octopath Traveler 2 was was recently launched. Uh, what's the name of the next one? Project Triangle. I think that was the name of it. So you have these really cool Switch exclusive, which are built for Nintendo Switch that absolutely work for that, that fan base. And then you simultaneously have Square Enix being one of Game Pass's biggest supporters, you know, putting all the Final Fantasies on, on there, all the Kingdom Hearts were put on there. Obviously, you know, uh, we've seen what they did uh, with putting Outriders on there. Day one, you know, Octopath uh, Traveler is coming to Xbox this week. It's, it's just really interesting. Their strategy has been um, not this sort of, hey, let's put everything everywhere multi-platform, but it's sort of creating these games, being able to focus their teams on a single platform, uh, getting sort of that that signing bonus, you know, because obviously Sony has to pay for Forspoken to be a PlayStation exclusive. You're able to focus your team on this what platform. And then, you know, at some point that exclusivity runs out, maybe it's six months. That Forspoken deal is probably a year minimum. And then, you know, you could put it on Xbox, maybe work with Microsoft, bring Forspoken to Game Pass or... You know, we saw what they did with Nintendo with Octopath Traveler. That was an exclusive for six months to a year. Then they brought it to PC. Then they brought it to Stadia. It's now finally coming to Xbox. I think their strategy has been really, really interesting. And then on top of that, you have these really cool uh, games that they've been publishing. Life is Strange, Marvel's Avengers, Outriders. You know, I really hope and pray to God that they're... Please give me another Sleeping Dogs for the love of God. But, uh, you know, I, I really want to commend Square Enix. They've really kind of taken themselves out of a company that when you hear that name, all you think of is Japanese RPG. And now they stand for 
sort of a lot of different things. Like when you think of Marvel's Avengers, like, hey, Marvel's Avengers is being published. When you first heard about it, I think Square Enix probably was one of the last publishers you would think of that will be involved with a game like this, a games as a service. And now they have two of them coming out or, you know, Avengers and, and, you know, Outriders. So definitely, you know, round of applause goes out to Square Enix. I think they've uh, been doing really, really amazing things. And last but not least, I don't, you know, we didn't really have a story of the week this week, but I want to briefly talk about Activision Blizzard before we, we, uh, we, 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 uh, you know, wrap up episode 80 of Camp Koji. So according to a report by Sports Business Journal, Activision Blizzard will lay off around 190 employees from the esports in King Division. So this is deja vu, classic Activision Blizzard. According to the company, the layoffs come as a cost-saving and restructuring measure. Then after that story broke, sources with knowledge of the situation told GamesIndustry.biz that the company is closing down its publishing offices in Europe. While the company emphasized the pandemic as a cause for the layoffs, Activision Blizzard has laid off more than 800 employees over the last two years, despite bringing in massive profits and offering CEO payouts. The one thing that I've always hated, and I rarely ever use the word hate, is when people think I'm stupid. You know, when people tell you something and you know that what they're saying is an absolute sort of bold-faced lie, and it's basically an insult to your intelligence when they try to wrap up the truth in this very flimsy, you know, it's like wrapping up the truth in, in, in wax paper or something like that. Like, you know, I, I, I can see right through it. So for Activision Blizzard to, you know, wrap up these layoffs and saying like, look, man, the pandemic, COVID-19 has been really, really tough. Instead of, you know, what this obviously being, you know, a restructuring in order for you to save costs and maximize your profits for the years to come, for you to hide behind this, this bullshit response of, oh, this is a pandemic, COVID-19 hit us hard. When you guys are putting up record profits, it's, come on, man. Like It's just such a bunch of BS. I just hate it. Bloomberg also reported that U.S. workers will receive a minimum of 90 days severance, which, let's be honest, 90 days is nothing, you know, that's really nothing major. Health benefits for a year, which, which are a positive, as well as what they call job transition support. And finally, there were uh, employees that were laid off were also given $200 gift cards to battle.net. Uh, very cool. They could get themselves some Overwatch skins now or some World of Warcraft pets or whatever the heck you guys spend your money on in World of Warcraft. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't really know anything about that world. I mean, I I, I don't really know what, what to say in, in, in terms of that, man. I mean, you know, I can't imagine being laid off of like, you know, Chick-fil-A and then they give me a $50 gift card to Chick-fil-A like, Fuck you. I don't want any chicken sandwiches from your damn company. Like, you know, I'm laid off by Blizzard. Are you giving me gift cards to battle.net? For the love of God, I hope all those people put them up. Put them up on eBay for $180. Make some money off of it. Like, I don't want your damn battle.net freaking gift cards. 
And then last but not least, according to CTW Investment Group, which is a union pension fund advocacy group, big baby baller Bobby Kotick, as I like to call him, is set to receive a total bonus payout of nearly $200 million because of a clause in his contract that was recently triggered by the company's strong stock performance throughout the pandemic. Now, CTW Investment Group had also previously brought up at some point, I did. I, I think I brought this up in an episode. I probably should have done this research for this episode. It was either early this year, I think it was early this year, or at some point last year. They did bring up to Activision Blizzard's, um, Jesus, what's the word that I'm looking for? I think they're bored. They're board of directors. I think they, they did bring up how ridiculous these CEO bonuses are. And, um, you know, previously on Camp Koji, I was trying to find the old episode. I, I, I couldn't find it, but I know we've brought up Bobby Kotick before on, um, on Camp Koji and just how ridiculous some of these bonuses are. We're talking about a person whose salary is like 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year. And in a in the middle of a pandemic, in a year where they're um, laying people off left and right, instead of including them in their restructuring plans, um, you know, to, to see these layoffs happen, you know, most of these people are making what? 50, 60, maybe at the most $70,000 a year. And then to find out that you've been fired and the CEO of your company is going to get a $200 million bonus. Um, You know, this is really sort of the kind of the cry of... The calling card, I guess you can you can you can say, of why a lot of people talk about eat the rich. Like this is really what uh, we're talking about when we use that term, eat the rich. Like we're not talking about. I mean, I it, it's it's <laughs> like I don't even know exactly how to even like. Um, talk about this and i think one of the reasons why is because we've begun to trivialize the the value of a dollar excuse me not not we don't trivialize the value of a dollar we've we've started to trivialize the value of one million dollars and i think we've really begun to trivialize the value of one billion dollars and um yeah, I, I think it was Tupac at some point that had that had said that how is it possible that we have billionaires when there are people in the streets that that don't even have pants, you know, that 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 can't even feed themselves. You have people, families that have to work two to three jobs uh, just to live, just not even to, not even to strive to survive. You have people that work multiple jobs. I mean, how many times have you heard about 
a school teacher, you know, we've seen school teachers that that have to have only fans just to be able to 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 um, qualify for cost of living in most places in uh, the United States of America. We've heard about how toxic our industry is when it comes to crunch. We've mentioned it so many times before on um, on this show and on this podcast. And it's something that, you know, any time that it has to do with the rights of workers in our industry, I've always thought it imperative, you know, for me to bring it up on Camp Koji and not, it's always been important to me that this show and this podcast, yes, it's, it's, you know, talking about the week that was and, you know, being excited about our industry and our industry in the wake of COVID-19 and this absolutely awful pandemic that we all had to go through, you know, living here in the United States of America and seeing how awful my country's response was to COVID-19 and over 500,000 people dead. In the wake of all that, being a, 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 a fan and a commentator and, and living, breathing, and eating video games, that in the midst of that, our industry has strived in the middle of COVID-19, because unlike under other industries like the film industry, we were prepared for a digital transition, something our industry has worked on for the last few years. And there hasn't really been a single publisher or developer in our industry that has suffered in the middle of this pandemic. And to see that even in the middle of all of this, we can have companies that are putting up record profits, record quarters that are seeing their physical to digital transition accelerated by years because of what's happening with COVID-19. We've had to have uh, men and women upended from their normal lives and having to work at home and, and having to create this work-life balance that, you know, to sort of be thrust into this. And for our industry to tell these employees, there's no way you can work at home for A, B, C, or D. But now that there's no other option, now working from home is available to you. And then on top of that, you know, we still see these companies taking these gigantic risks. We saw Stadia do it with putting people into these offices for months to be told by, I can't remember this damn guy's name, to be told by, by, by Google, hey, you guys are doing a great job at Stadia Games. And then for it to be shut down a week after being told that you were doing such a great job and being upended and now having to find another job. And, and then to hear about this Activision news, about people being laid off, uh, and, then, and then for it to be hidden behind a restructuring because of COVID-19 and, and using this awful pandemic as a scapegoat. And then on top of all of this happening, Bobby Kotick getting a $200 million bonus. 
It's just, it, it, it makes me so immensely angry because we've really reached this point, especially here in the United States of America and the way our businesses run, is like, it sort of makes me stop and think like, what is the value of a human life nowadays to a lot of these CEOs, to a lot of, to, to some, to the Bobby Kotick's of our industry, like what is the value of a human life when Bobby Kotick can get a $200 million bonus when the CEOs of CD Projekt Red can completely, can, can put the livelihood of thousands of people on the line for their own greed and for their own stock prices. And we have an industry that still hasn't unionized. And I think what, what really makes my blood boil about all this is seeing the defenders, seeing people defend billionaires like Bobby Kotick and, and defend billionaires like Jeff Bezos that... You know, I've said this before, the only way to be a Bobby Kotick, the only way to be a Jeff Bezos, the only way to be an Elon Musk, you have to be a psychopath. Like, that's really the only way to, to, to get to that point. You have to be a psychopath. You know, like the value of a human life has to be lesser than your fifth car, your third house. You know, it has to be lesser than you know, you living in a home with fucking 10 bathrooms, for example, like, do you understand, you know, a $200 million bonus? And this is just to one CEO. This is just, just to Bobby Kotick. Just imagine multiplying that 10 times over or whatever for CFO and all these other senior positions at Activision Blizzard while their fucking employees are are struggling, you know, while, while we live in apparently the best country in the world and people are, you know, waiting in lines to get food. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking, man. You know, to, to, to see this happen in an industry that you absolutely love and then to see gamers out there defend Activision to defend Robert Kotick, Bobby, big, big baby ball of Bobby Kotick and say, oh, this man earned it. He's working so hard. Fuck no, man. I've been a manager before at companies. And let me tell you something. No manager works. The, the McDonald's manager never works harder than the guy that's flipping your burgers and serving you your food. Never, never, ever. It just, it doesn't work that way. They work really hard to avoid as much work as they can. And it just, it's, it, it, it gets me so immensely frustrated to see stories like this and hoping and praying that at some point our industry can get to the point of, of, um, of unionizing on a broad, very, very broad spectrum because we are at this point of no return in our industry um, where our industry is bigger than all of these other major entertainment industries combined. And we, because of COVID-19, we are at this point 
of not turning back where we're going to this digital future and these companies are going to be seeing profits that they've never seen before in their lives. And the fact that that pie is not being equally cut for these men and women that are working 100-hour work weeks just so Bobby Kotick could once again get his third yacht. And it's like I'm, I'm sitting here looking at my notes and, and I just I can't stop staring at that $200, $200 million bonus. And you cut, you know, what's going to amount to over 200 jobs. It's, um, it's, it's, it's so, it, it makes me so angry, man. It, it really, really, truly does. And, you know, this is why I always tell people, I've been telling people for years, ever since I left my last company, your company is not your family. They're not your friends. It doesn't matter how great you think you are, you will be replaced <laughs> immediately if something were to happen to you. If you work a nine to five and you're working a job, I implore you right now, look at your job description and for the love of God, do not exceed it without being properly compensated. Take this from a person that has worked 50, 60 hour work weeks for companies like GameStop. Uh, they will throw you under the bus the split second that they're able to. Especially if it gets them, once again, their third or fourth car. They will always throw you under that bus. People like Bobby Kotick stand on the shoulders of workers like us. <laughs> you know, entire countries stood on the shoulders of people who, you know, the United States of America stood on the shoulders of people who are getting paid seven twenty-five an hour and have to work three of those jobs just to survive. So please think about that if you ever think about going the extra mile for a company that's paying you minimum wage. This week's hot release is tomorrow, March 23rd. Actually, this is a really, really big week. Overcooked, all-you-can-eat, PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Puyo Puyo Tetris 2 coming to PC. March 24th, we have Paradise Lost coming to PC, PS1, Xbox One. This game actually looks really interesting. Check it out if you're into sort of story-based games. Tales from the Borderlands coming to Nintendo Switch. March 25th, El Hijo, a Wild West tale, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Dark Complete Edition, PS5, Xbox Series X. Black Legend, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and Switch. Yakuza 6, The Song of Life, that's coming to PC, Xbox One. It's also coming to Game Pass. Octopath Traveler, debuting on Xbox One, Xbox Series X, debuting on Game Pass. March 26, we have It Takes Two, coming to PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, coming to PC. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 Plus 2 gain next-gen upgrades for PS5, Xbox Series X. And finally, the big game of the week, Monster Hunter Rise for Nintendo Switch. I've been saying this before, man. This game is going to be an absolute behemoth for Capcom. I'm hoping to see those numbers. That's definitely a guaranteed million uh, right there before the week is up. Wrap it up. It's time to get to the stories we didn't have time to get to. A Fortnite competitor named Wrigley got his team removed from the Fortnite Champion Series by tagging Epic Chief 
creative officer Donald Mustard in a tweet that read, literally fucking kill yourself. And the entire time, the entire team was knocked out of the tournament. I, I, I sort of like these, these really strict, um, judgment, judge, jury, and executioner calls that Epic Games has been making. Kind of reminds me of that, uh, what was it, that kid that was permanently banned from Fortnite? What was his name? Jarvis, I think it was. Some some kid from FaZe for uh, for cheating. Uh, I think it's really, really important for companies to have these, uh, to be honest, you know, to make example out of these players because this is the only way that people learn their lessons. And, uh, you know, we've really reached a point in social media where people think that what they say on 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 Twitter or what they say on, and, and do on social media doesn't have consequences. And I think a lot of it is the anonymity of it and the fact that you're not saying these things, you're taping these things out on, on, on Twitter. So I think a lot of these these people, especially these kids, these kids are like 14, 15, they need to learn these lessons now while they're kids um, to better prepare them as a as an adult. And they need to understand that freedom of speech is not freedom from consequences. So I think this was the right call because this is the only way that other 14-year-olds are going to understand, once again, freedom of speech is not freedom from consequences. That was the right move. NVIDIA is raising the price of its GE Force Now game streaming service from $5 a month to $10 a month or $100 a year. I agree with this. I think this makes a lot of sense. I don't know why people are surprised by it. GeForce has always been very open and honest that that $5 was an introductory founder's price. Now it's $10 a month, but you can only have a few hours on a session. I think GeForce now is cool, but it's sort of like this non-proprietary thing that NVIDIA is doing. I think it's a cool service. Um, but I've been saying this before. I think Valve really needs to do something when it comes to their Steam service. Um, you know, especially now with Google saying that, Hey, Stadia, they're going to make it open. I think steam needs to work with Stadia. Once again, I do think that streaming is the future, especially as we start hitting these points in time where, you know, I was just thinking about this last year. We're in a generation where nine out of 10 play people can't even buy into our generation right now. Still can't find a PlayStation five. You still can't find the Xbox series X. Good luck finding a G force you know, 30, 60, 70, or 80, because they're being scooped up, not only just by resellers, but also by, you know, crypto miners. We're in this point right now where no one can even get into this generation. And we're going to keep, you know, this is not going to stop anytime soon with NFTs and mining and Ethereum and Bitcoin and blockchain. It continuing to grow. Either NVIDIA has to do something or, you know, streaming services are going to be, you know, a lot more lucrative to people that can't afford or can't even find uh, the resources to build a PC to run these next generation games. Some Xbox owners have realized references to Xbox Live have been replaced with Xbox Network. A lot of people have been resurfacing speculation that Xbox will do away with Xbox Live Gold. Look, I've been saying this for a while. Xbox absolutely needs to get rid of Xbox Gold. I think Microsoft needs to be the first out of the big three, uh, PlayStation and Nintendo, to do away with paying to play online. They need to get rid of that. PC players have have been able to do this for quite some time. And I think if anyone can eat that cost, it's Xbox, especially if they start to subsidize it. And, uh, you know, through Game Pass, for example, 
At some point, I think they do need to get rid of gold, but I don't think that's why Xbox Live is changed to the Xbox network. I think there's just, um, you know, signals, a, a, a change that we saw coming with Xbox, where Xbox is moving really, really towards this Xbox ecosystem where you're able to access Xbox from your phone, from your PC, from your TV. And I think Xbox network just sort of encompasses that a lot greater than something like Xbox Live. Um, I think that's really the reason for the change. A few shout outs this week. Shout out to Respawn Entertainment. They were nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary for Colette, which, which was created for Medal of Honor Above and Beyond. Colette is spelled C-O-L-E-T-T-E. It is a free documentary. It's like 25 minutes. Definitely go check it out. It's about a 90-year-old French woman named Colette who confronts her past by visiting the Nazi concentration camp in Germany where her brother was killed. I saw it. I, th I really thought it was amazing. I said it was only like 20, 25 minutes. It's free to watch. I definitely uh, would recommend it. So definitely shout out to them. I think they're the first game company to be nominated for an Oscar. That's pretty cool. Uh, also, shout out to Rockstar Games. Modern Toast discovered a fix that would drastically improve PC loading times for GTA Online. And we're not talking about like, you know, seven minutes to six minutes we're talking about people that would take seven five to seven minutes to load it's now loading in 30 seconds to a minute and uh he posted his findings not only did rockstar implement the fix they publicly acknowledged his discovery with a thank you and awarded him ten thousand dollars i think so many other companies need to realize this i think a lot of companies look at it almost like a sense of like they don't want to swallow their pride by acknowledging a fan, you know, made a sort of discovery. But, you know, a lot of these fans are amazing, smart modders and 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 um, uh, what do you call it? Developers and, and coders themselves. You know, we've seen Nintendo sort of do this. We saw Capcom do it where they kind of refuse to acknowledge that someone outside of their company built a better mousetrap. I think it's really cool that Rockstar not only acknowledged it, they thanked them, they awarded him with $10,000. And, you know, this is something that now this guy Toast can put on his future resumes. And, you know, maybe if he wants a job at Rockstar, he already has his toe in the door. I think it's amazing. Uh, and last but not least, shout out to, actually, I got two more shout outs. This is the most shout outs ever in Camp Koji. Shout out to Jade Raymond, who announced the formation of a new studio called Haven. Their first project is uh, a PlayStation exclusive. I think it's actually also being published by, by PlayStation, so that's pretty cool. I wish her nothing but the best of luck. And last but not least, shout out to Resident Evil. Today marks 25 years since the original Resident Evil came out. I would definitely never forget the OGs, the OG Resident Evil fans. Remember the, the, the slow motion zombie turnaround cutscene will haunt me in my childhood dreams, along with that stupid dog uh, jumping through the glass and that's it that's that's it for our show this week thank you guys so much for joining me each and every week please follow us on twitter and instagram at camp koji for future updates once again i'm joel and i will see you next week